This is America on the Road, winner of the International Auto Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. And this is a very special episode of America on the Road. There's big news this week at America on the Road. We have just entered into an agreement with the SportsMap Radio Network to carry our show. And our first broadcast for the network will be on August 14th. So look for that show on a radio station near you. Of course, we will continue to podcast as well each week, as we have been doing. And we thank you very much for being loyal listeners to America on the Road. This is going to change a little bit the timing when we post the show. We will change the posting time from Friday, as has been typical up till now, to Mondays moving forward. So look for that. But we will still be doing a weekly podcast. And we're so thankful that you listen to America on the Road. That's very, very important to us. As we prepare for our network debut here, this is one of our favorite past shows. This was broadcast originally in February, and uh, there's some new information in it as well. So I think you'll enjoy this particular show, and join us again for new shows starting next week. And again, we're excited to be on the SportsMap radio network starting on August 14th. So join us for that as well. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. And now, with all that said, here is that previous episode of America on the Road. This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 24th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Today we're going to identify the safest cars in America for you. It'll be interesting. I, I think you'll like that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Well, I'm Jack D. Rad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based in Maine. I guess you're having a little better weather than you had maybe a week or so ago, huh, Chris? We're in the midst of uh, fake spring or fool's spring, as people like to call it. So uh, we've had, you know, 40s, 50s, which is quite balmy for this type of time of year. Yeah. I assume that would be frigid for your, your area of the country, though. Yeah, true. I'm balmy any time of the year. And uh, it is uh, when it gets down to around uh, under 60 degrees here, you know, we consider it quite cold. Which is odd, because I grew up in Chicago with below zero weather frequently, and uh, I can remember living through that. And now when it gets down about 50 or 60, I remember coaching some softball games for my girls where it was about 50 degrees, and the wind was blowing, and I was just about as cold as I've ever been. I was shivering. It was, it was like crazy. So, uh, But this is not a weather show. We are not meteorologists. We are actually car experts. And to prove it, this week we have as our special guest Bill Lowenthal. He is Senior Vice President of Product at ChargePoint. And they're a really big player in the electric vehicle charging space. Uh, I like the way people say space these days in, in that business. He's a fascinating guy. I expect to have a fascinating conversation with him. Uh, he has a lot to say about this. He's also an evangelist for electric cars, so we'll, we'll enjoy that. And in the car review uh, segment, Chris discuss what will you discuss chris i spent the week in the 2021 acura tlx yeah very nice a little cramp probably at some of the time and you wish you had a washroom but uh otherwise uh, it's probably quite nice for the week i will be talking about the 2021 lx 570 
the full-size luxury SUV from Lexus. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's dive into the automotive news. Do you have a story for us, Chris? I do. It's a very quick one, though. We've talked about Carvana and the experience of buying and selling cars online. And they've had the commercials now for a while where they have the the big car uh, vending machine, you know, the glass walls. Yeah, it's I, very dramatic. I've been in there. Uh, I've, I had the giant quarter to drop into it in my hand. <laughs> so the story that just came out this morning out of Las Vegas is that they've opened a new one. It's got a 39-vehicle 39, 39 capacity. It's 11-stories tall, but this one doubles as a car slot machine. Um, so details are scarce, but it does sound like in addition to buying a car from the vending machine, you might be able to gamble and win one. Um, maybe out falls the gumball. You never know. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Whenever I go to Vegas, I play the candy machines. You put in 50 cents and you pull the uh, lever and you almost always get a candy bar. It's, it's really kind of amazing. <laughs> I have an uncanny luck with that and I feel pretty good about it. But uh, that's, that's all I do in Las Vegas. But we'll have to check that out the next time we... We go to Sin City, Let's check out the Carvana vending machine there and slot machine. Can't wait to see that. Uh, on a more serious note, the in, uh, Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has announced their award winners for 2021. So these are the safest cars we alluded to a little earlier in the show. They have named 49 vehicle models top safety pick pluses. That's their highest award. And then there are an additional 41 vehicles as top safety picks. So that's 90 award winners. So that's, that's quite a few award winners, you know, based on the fact that there are only 350 or so models out there. They actually include submodels in here, so it's not quite as all-inclusive as it might seem to be. To become a top safety pick plus or a top safety pick, the vehicle have, have to get good ratings in six crashworthiness tests the driver's side small overlap front test, the passenger side small overlap front test, the moderate overlap front uh, test, the side roof strength and head restraint tests. So those are all the tests that they have to go through. And then they have to have uh, advanced ratings in vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to pedestrian evaluations. I like that vehicle to pedestrian thing. You, <laughs> you really want to avoid mm -hmm. running your car into pedestrians. I'm all in favor of that. And one of the, one of the um, pieces of safety equipment that is critical to their uh, awards and, and maybe not all that uh, well reported is what piece of equipment do you think, Chris? Headlights. You are so good. And you're probably reading the re, uh, the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not. But the yeah. results. But no, you're very bright and headlights are very critical. Uh, and I, I think very underreported, you know, how important it is to see where you're going. Uh, just, you know, that's really important for safety. And so the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety has figured that out. We can't go over all 90 in this show. There's just not time to do that. But um, some of the highlights, uh, Hyundai Motor Group, which includes Hyundai, Kia, Genesis, and the Genesis brands, had uh, the highest total of awards this year. They had 12 uh, top safety picks and five top safety pick pluses. Boy, I have a difficult time saying that, I think. <laughs> and um, Volvo, as maybe you might guess, had the most top safety pick pluses. Uh, they had nine for 2021. And uh, here's another question for you. What do you think was the segment of the industry that had the highest number of top safety pick plus winners? 
Oh, geez. Um, if I had to guess, it would be a crossover of the crossover category, maybe the uh, small or compact crossover category. It's a really good guess, and you're very close. It is the mid-sized luxury SUV category. Of course, oh, of virtually course. all of those are are crossovers. And because they're luxury, they can, they can afford to be equipped with uh, the highly expensive uh, safety equipment uh, that allows them to be named a top safety pick plus. So that's good. Another interesting segment, or was interesting to me, was the number of vehicles in this particular segment that scored very high in safety. It's non-intuitive. So uh, that's a, a good hint for you as we're doing this guessing game with the IIHS Awards. What do you think that segment would be? A lot of awards, but non-intuitive. Uh, small cars, small vehicles. Brilliant. Gosh, you're, you're just too smart. <laughs> I promise I'm not looking at the list. Yes, well, and that's really uh, absolutely 100% right. They don't have a lot of top safety pick pluses among small cars, only four, actually. But then there's a whole bunch of top safety picks among small cars. And you wouldn't necessarily think that. I mean, small cars are, are not noted necessarily for their high safety, typically. I don't think they're unsafe cars, but uh, they have kind of a reputation of not being all that safe. And yet uh, this is the segment that had, uh, I, I think if I'm adding those up, that's 16 actual top safety picks or top safety pick pluses. Probably about the evasive technology there more than anything. Yeah, evasive technology, and uh, I, there's a lot of uh, safety technology that's standard in so many of the small cars these days from uh, some of the, the mass market brands, so that's very good. Here is a, a little bit of a prediction from TrueCar. It's a prediction about what February vehicle sales are going to be, and they're going to be down pretty significantly, according to TrueCar, uh, down 7.6% from a year ago. Of course, February of 2020 <laughs> was about the last good sales month, right? I mean, uh, after February, sales really took a dive as COVID uh, really struck. So uh, it's interesting to me that sales are down very significantly from that February a year ago, even though it seems like things are on the, on the upturn now in terms of the disease and in terms of uh, business lockdowns coming off and those kinds of things. This gives a... Uh, Seasonally adjusted annualized sales rate, what they call the SAAR in the industry, uh, is estimated to be 15.5 million units. That means if vehicles sold at this rate, there would be 15.5 million cars sold in 2021. Last year, that number, the real number, was 14.6, almost 14.7 million. So we're ahead of last year in terms of pace, but... Uh, I, I I expected it maybe to be just a little bit more optimistic. What, what's your take on that, Chris? I agree. I you know just intuitively we talk about small cars not being intuitively safe, but this you know it doesn't make that much sense on the surface. So, did they provide any reasoning for why they feel it will be lower in February of this year? Well, I think a lot had to do with the terrible weather. You certainly experienced that. So there's a lot of snow everywhere, and there I was even, about that. you know there was even snow in Texas and shut down. Much of Texas, of course, a giant car market for at least a week uh, during this month. So that certainly was one of the issues. There's also some issue with supply, some vehicles, uh, and there's a, a microchip shortage. So that's hurting supply. So a lot of things going on. The average transaction price, 
that's what people are paying uh, on average for the vehicle they buy, is up very significantly. They were up 6.6%, uh, $6 uh, $2,300, almost $2,400 up from uh, the same month a year ago. They're even up $500 from last month, uh, which indicates those people who are buying cars are buying you know, big cars or paying a lot of, or buying a lot of equipment uh, as they buy the cars. Uh, meanwhile, a lot of people can't afford to buy cars at all. Yeah, that one does actually make a little sense. You know, you read a lot about, especially with the, the new Ford F-150, for example, when it, when it started selling, they were selling the top two or three trims above all else and were selling them uh, faster than they could make them. So uh, people definitely want the plushest thing they can buy. Well, speaking about the plushest thing you can buy, and I didn't say that very well either, but the plushest thing you could buy, uh, Ford is bringing out a King Ranch edition of its Ford Explorer, uh, which will capture a lot of King Ranch. You know, King Ranch is, I think, bigger than the state of Rhode Island, uh, which is kind of near to you there in Maine. So you can get some sense of how big the King Ranch is. The King Ranch actually uses 300 Ford vehicles just to work the ranch. 300 vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of crazy. But uh, the Ford Explorer, uh, of course, uh, one of our favorite midsize SUVs, is now going to have this King Ranch edition, and it, it features the running W brand all over the place, and liberal use of leather, although I'm not sure if I can use the word liberal in connection with the state of Texas. Uh, I am. And uh, so a lot of stuff going on there. Or refined might not be the exact word to describe it, but it's going to be certainly different than the typical Explorer. And if you like leather, and if you like stitching, if you like branding, well, you're probably going to like the uh, Ford Explorer King Ranch Edition. Yeah, I don't love the branding, but I've always loved the, the F-150 King Ranch. The interiors, they're just so, so nice. You can't beat it. And looking at the pictures of the Explorer, it looks like it'll be much of the same. But that W everywhere <laughs> starts to wear on me after a little while. I, you know, I'm wondering uh, why it has taken so long. You would think that there would have been a King Ranch edition of the Explorer 10 years ago. I mean, it's 20 years ago that they introduced the first King Ranch edition of the F-150. So, hey, Ford, what took you so long? But I, I guess they, they got there. So, so that's a good thing. So when we come back, and we, we promise we will come back, we're going to have a little little tiny bit of music, and then we're going to come back. We're going to do our road test segment, and in that road test segment, we'll, we will be looking at the Acura TLX. If you're not familiar with exactly what that is, it's a sports sedan, right, Chris? Yeah, well, it attempts to be, yes. Okay, well, a little preview of the review. <laughs> and I will be talking about the 2021 Lexus LX570, their massive SUV, so stay with us. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad, and you're on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack D. Rad with you for road test time on America on the Road. We're, of course, excited to road test vehicles. That's what we do for a living. That's one of our loves, certainly. Uh, I have loved doing it for uh, several decades now. And Chris, though more recently to it, I think loves it as much as I do. Uh, and Chris, you had a vehicle that I'm not certain you uh, fell in love with. Uh, tell us a bit about the Acura TLX. Well, I think that's... I'm going to say this as strongly, that strongly, I guess. It's it, everyone, and including Acura and a lot of reviewers themselves, consider the TLX a sports sedan. And I, I agree, it's aggressive looking, it, it handles well, it's comfortable, it's fun to drive, but it's not, 
I think that I would prefer it much more to be to, to err on the luxury side. I think that's the car has so much going for it. Uh, I think, you know, the sporting intentions of the car uh, kind of get in the way, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. So uh, this is the 2021 Acura TLX. This is the advanced, uh, you guess you could call it a package or trim. This is right now the range topping model that's available. Uh, there'll be a type, at, type S model a little bit later on with a V6 and a lot more power. And that one probably will be a full-fledged uh, sports sedan. But um, the car is quite large, uh, at least on the outside. You look at it, it looks big and heavy. And, and in driving it, you can definitely feel that too. The model that's on sale right now, including the one I tested, has a turbocharged two-liter four-cylinder engine that's uh, 272 horsepower and 280 pound-feet of torque. Uh, my car had the super handling all-wheel drive system, which is very nice. It's able to move power between the wheels, especially uh, right now with all the snow melting. There's a lot of water on the road. Uh, this also had a 10-speed automatic transmission. Very smooth, stayed out of the way. Um, but again, going back to that that line between sports and comfort, I think the transmission lets down the engine a little bit. It doesn't hang on to gears. It doesn't. It's not very quick with paddle shifts. Um, so for my money... I would buy this car expecting a luxury sedan, uh, even though it does zero to 60 in around six seconds. And despite the fact that it runs zero to 60 in around six seconds, it's it's still just so much more uh, car than it should be to be a true sports sedan. I think it's a lot more comfortable uh, and, and should be treated that way. What do you think, Jack? You know, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, one of the development engineers, one of the, uh, the chief guys, and I think we actually used the interview and had the interview on the a previous edition of America on the Road, about the vehicle. And one of the things they're doing with the vehicle at Acura is they're kind of splitting two segments. It's If you were comparing it to, say, the BMW, you, it would be a competitor for both the 3 Series and the 5 Series. So it's you know a lot bigger than a compact, compact luxury uh, sports sedan would be. And I think that's part of the thing you're feeling there. In the in the absence of driving them back to back, I don't know that I I felt it was that much um, bulkier or uh, harder to maneuver than say a, a smaller sports sedan would be. But you know I, I see your point. Yeah, I don't want to give the impression that I don't I don't think it can be fun to drive because it absolutely can. I think that believing it or buying it wanting a sports sedan is maybe the wrong approach. I think it has those elements and it does those things well. Handles well, brakes well, steering is comfortable, uh, and and decent feedback there. But I think that you know if you buy it thinking I want a, a mid-sized luxury sedan, you're going to be a lot happier because it is extremely nice. Uh, the advanced package had real leather interior, heated and ventilated front seats, heated steering wheel. I think it's a 10.2 inch screen. I'll have to correct myself if I'm wrong later. Uh, yes, yeah, 10.2 inch screen, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. This car had the ELS uh, audio system that Acura does. It was excellent. And the car does very well in wet weather and slippery weather. Um, the back seats are comfortable for adults. It's a little lacking on legroom, as you mentioned uh, before. But even the kids in their car seats, uh, we reinstalled the full-size car seat for my four-year-old. Uh, after trying a booster, she's a little too small for that one. But even the full-size car seat, she had some legroom with the front seat moved up a little bit. Um, and the trunk was decently sized too. I would say, you know, three or four decently sized suitcases would fit back there. So, you know, for a family taking a road trip, it's probably going to be good. Uh, adults riding in the back seat. If you're six feet, like I am Jack, as you 
love to hear. <laughs> um, you might have some trouble back there, but otherwise, you know, I think it's a great looking car. It's extremely comfortable, as I said, handles well, but I don't think I would consider it a sports sedan or if I were shopping for a dedicated sports sedan, that probably wouldn't be the car. If I were looking for a luxury sedan with sporting elements, that would be my my pick. Yeah, I think you sum it up very, very well uh, because I, I think that's what they deliver there. And I think Acura is pretty plain about doing that. They understand uh, what they have and, and what they uh, don't have. And uh, I think you, as I say, summed it up well. So uh, an interesting vehicle, the Acura TLX, and uh, we'll see how that uh, fares in, in what is a very, very competitive uh, marketplace, that's for certain. Well, I was driving a vehicle that's also in a, a very, very competitive marketplace. And we're talking about full-size luxury SUVs, although I guess there are not as many full-size luxury SUVs as there are mid-size luxury SUVs or compact luxury SUVs. For some of the imports, big gets kind of out of their ballpark. It's not in their sweet spot. But for Lexus, the Lexus LX570 is big. I would say, though, it's not as big uh, and thus not as roomy inside, not as um, comfortable inside as, uh, say, a uh, GMC Yukon would be or a Chevy Suburban would be or uh, a a Cadillac Escalade, for that matter, uh, all of which are somewhat competitive to the LX. It does have a very stylish exterior. It it gets your attention anyway. (laughs) Certainly the Lexus grill gets a lot of people's attention. Uh, it also has a an engine that can get your attention. It is a 5.7-liter V8. It produces 383 horsepower, a ton of torque, 403 pound-feet of torque. So uh, that's a lot. Eight-speed automatic transmission. And it uses a full-time four-wheel drive system, which we might call a an all-wheel drive system rather than a four-wheel drive system. There is a Torsen limited-slip center differential. It has electro- electronic locking. Yeah, as well. So that makes it uh, very off-road friendly. You're, you're, you'd be surprised how well this vehicle will fare off-road because it doesn't look like something that maybe would, would be a great off-roader. Uh, it just looks big and bulky uh, in, in a good way, in a stylish way, but it, it looks big. There's no doubt about that. It is rated to tow up to 7,000 pounds, which is a reasonable number. Uh, there are uh, full-size SUVs that will tow more, of course, uh, but uh, that's a reasonable number, I think, for, for something like this. And then it has that throwback body-on-frame structure uh, that we're so fond of with uh, traditional SUVs, uh, certainly the Chevy Suburban and etc. all are separate body-on-frame. It has five different uh, modes for different types of terrain. It has standard 20-inch 10-spoke wheels, and you can get 21-inch wheels as an option. Plenty of big wheels going on. The, the vehicle I had was the Inspiration package that it has a blacked-out grille and kind of blacked-out what would otherwise be chrome. You know, I'm not sure it was exactly my taste. Uh, maybe the, 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 <laughs> the more standard one would have been okay. It's, it was, uh, it's uh, had white, it's white body color and then blacked out all around. And, and maybe that was just too stark a contrast, but. Uh, it's inspiring. It is uh, an, an inspiration and, uh, and might have inspired you. I mean, what's your take on uh, the Lexus LX versus some of the other vehicles in its segment, Chris? I think. People buy the Lexus LX kind of as a purposeful buy. You know, people who know about it want it and buy it. I'm a big fanboy. The Toyota Land Cruiser, the LX is, you know, I've 
got a long history of wanting one of those vehicles. So I think, you know, will it do better off road than a Suburban or a Tahoe? Yeah, probably. Um, but it, you know, you kind of have to go into it wanting to buy it, but you know, personally, I love them. They're, I think they're great at what, great for what they are. Yeah. And there's certainly plenty of luxury. Uh, I want to make that very, very clear. Heated and ventilated front and second row seats. Oh boy. Ventilated second row seats. I like mm-hmm. that. Uh, it has a climate concierge. It automatically monitors the temperature in four separate climate zones. And the interior isn't all that big, so, <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting that it does that. It also has a rear seat entertainment system, which strike me as becoming passe. And, you know, maybe you can speak to that. It has dual 11.6-inch screens, so that was that's pretty good. You know, those are big screens. Uh, it has HDMI input for the second row and wireless headphones. Uh, you've got uh, two daughters that ride in the back seat a lot. Uh, what's your take on an integrated system like that? You know, they love seeing the, the screens in the back of the the vehicles that we we get occasionally. The most of them, on, uh, surprisingly, I guess, are FCA vehicles or I guess Stellantis vehicles now. But um, when they work, they're they're fine. You know, but they're they're not as intuitive or as flexible as just a couple of iPads hanging on the back of the seat. Especially if you have HDMI inputs, you're you're going to be fiddling with what a DVD player or a Blu-ray player while you're driving, or maybe a, a portable video game system of some sort. But I think you know the iPad is a much better solution, and it's probably cheaper just to buy a couple of uh, uh, what do you call it? You know, holders for the back of the seat, but yeah. definitely not as stylish. Or you know, the kids can actually handheld, hand hold, not handheld, but they can hand hold <laughs> those devices too. I yeah, think, exactly. Probably. Yeah. So that works out. So interesting vehicles. I think not the tops of their segments, but certainly worthy of attention. And uh, the fact that uh, the TLX is pretty new, I think, uh, commands some attention too. So take a look at that. And a lot of tech there. And if you want to split the difference between a compact and a a midsize uh, luxury sports vehicle, it's certainly a good choice. And uh, the uh, Lexus LX, uh, this time around, it's the LX570. Certainly a very robust vehicle that can uh, endure all the off-road you want to throw at it and at the same time uh, take you to the opera if you want. So a couple interesting vehicles we have that are, are worthy of attention, I think. And when we come back, we will be doing an interview with Bill Lowenthal. He is the Senior Vice President at ChargePoint. We're going to be talking about the whole issue uh, revolving around EV charging, both publicly and at home. Uh, a lot of issues uh, concerned with that, of course. And he is the expert on it, so we'll be taking a long time to talk with him. In fact, we're eschewing. We are not doing our listener question segment so we can bring you all of the interview with uh, Bill Lowenthal. So stay with us for that when we come back with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad with you right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red back with you. We have a really interesting guest talking about a, a fascinating topic. I think there's a lot more to this topic than meets the eye, and we're talking about electric vehicle charging. Uh, our guest is Bill Lowenthal. He's the Senior Vice President of Product with ChargePoint, a, a major uh, player in that industry. Bill, thanks so much for being with us. I, I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Give our listeners who might be 
pretty unaware of the infrastructure issues dealing with uh, electric vehicles. Uh, some background on ChargePoint, on charging vehicles as a whole, and then we can uh, dive even deeper into that. Sure, sure. So ChargePoint is a leader in enabling the movement to electric mobility. And we've actually been at this um, longer than there's been EV vehicles, which is amazing. And uh, what we do is we provide the solution to various site hosts to provide electric mobility uh, charging to their constituents and at the same time have a free mobile application for drivers so that as being a, a member of the ChargePoint network, their credentials are then in their mobile phone or through an RFID key can access these chargers. You might see them at retail environments, many, many workplaces, many multifamily properties, parking operators, stadiums, airports. Um, and the idea here is what these site hosts, as we call them, the places where you find the chargers, um, they're deploying these because they want to um, really serve their, their consumer base or their workforce or tenant pool. And what ChargePoint's providing is the, uh, oftentimes you'll notice us by our orange stations, but we have a complete solution from the station to the kind of the platform that that SiteOS is using to determine which, you know, which pricing is set for which driver groups on those particular stations. And it publishes those stations into our maps available to drivers through the mobile application, uh, we're also integrated into uh, Apple CarPlay, so if your vehicle is equipped with that in your EV, uh, you can you can use that as well as you'll see Android Auto coming from us as well. And a number of auto manufacturers have uh, built uh, ChargePoint directly into the dashboard. So that combination of me as a driver, I have my ChargePoint credentials, I can find this chargers, you know, where I'm going and charge. Um, and then it was, it's all kind of settled through the ChargePoint network as, in terms of payment if those uh, stations require payment. Many of them do not. And, um, and th that's the backbone of what we do. So it strikes me that you're doing a, a very complex set of tasks to make something simple for the consumer. Uh, and that is charging their vehicle, right? I mean, in the in the simplest terms, they think of it as I'm just going to go plug in my vehicle, right? Or that's how people think about it. But to make that happen takes a lot more than finding an electrical plug and, <laughs> and sticking a, a cord in and a socket into a, uh, or a cord into a socket, right? Yeah, precisely. And, and you know, we really want to make it simple. And I think one of the, you know, your, the listeners uh, of your show, you know, we, we love vehicles. We love cars, right? We love driving. And one of the things that's so liber liberating about driving an electric vehicle is, is the convenience of I'm leaving, like I charge at home and I charge at work. So what's interesting is I'm charging where the car is parked. And this is a big myth that people don't understand. Uh, they think that I'm going to go, just like in a gas station environment, I'm going to drive to fuel. You really don't do that predominantly what you predominantly do is is you charge where it's parked and so what's so liberating is i get in my vehicle in the morning or at the, at the end of day at work and uh and i'm leaving with a full battery and i'm only really replacing the 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 energy used in between my destinations i'm not driving it to zero and topping it all the way up so that that's kind of a typical it's very much like my cell phone so it makes it very seamless and to your point jack what's kind of cool that um, 
what we've orchestrated is I can take my mobile phone or my Apple Watch and tap it to the front of ChargePoint station, and that's what authenticates they know it's me, unlocks the connector so I can just plug it in my car, and off I go. And so um, it's, it's a very simple, fast interaction, and it's super convenient. So people will say, well, how long does it take to charge your car? Well, 10 seconds, because that's what it took to plug it in. Then I'm off to work, and I come back, I unplug it, and I drive off, and I don't have to make stops along the way. That's what's so liberating about this. So you're not doing it, though, in, in uh, residential locations, or are you? I, it sounds oh, you like bet you do- we are. Oh, you are. Okay, so you're doing it in yeah. residential locations and in work locations and other commerce kind of locations. Okay, t- tell me about that. That's a, yeah, a misconception so we, I had. Yeah, so, so a, a couple things to illustrate here. Um, uh, we're providing the solution to a variety of site hosts and then have represent that into this network that drivers can then access to charge their vehicle. When we think about the various segments that need to be electrified, there's quite many, uh, and they're actually pretty logical. And so, and this is more of the business side of ChargePoint, but when we are looking at the market, there's certainly a lot of residential uh, solutions that are required in the market. So we provide, and you can find it on many of your favorite places to shop, but ChargePoint.com, you know, one of the leading chargers in terms of the ChargePoint Home Flex it actually goes up to 50 amps, which is super cool because it's kind of forward compatible for whatever car you might get in the future. And, um, and so that's a home solution that a, a consumer can put in their home. Uh, then there's also solutions that would go into a multifamily property. So many, many people across America today are, and increasingly in the future, are going to be living in multi-dwelling kind of environments. And so there we have great solutions for both that property owner, but also the tenant so that we can scale this. And I think what we're going to increasingly see, and you know, there's a dizzying number of exciting cars coming, and there's also corresponding incentives and policy directives that are requiring and uh, incentivizing electric build-out. So you're going to see more and more multifamily properties, workplaces, public parking and venues with, with electric vehicle charging. And there's already so many more than people realize exist. But so, so those are some of the segments. So residential is one. Then you think about workplace, retail, dining, hospitality, parking. Those are all various places that we enable. Um, maybe not as germane to the show, but very significant to the environment and the transition of transportation to electrification is the fleet space. And you're going to see... Many, many fleets move to electric uh, drivetrains because it is a much more efficient platform for them to run their business on from a TCO, total cost of ownership perspective, lower maintenance profile, and then great environmental benefits, which are mandated in many markets. And so the fleet movement is super exciting in the whole mobility transportation space uh, that we're going to see over the next several decades. So we're doing all of this. And we're doing it with a combination of various industry-leading hardware from the ChargePoint Home Flex that I mentioned to solutions that um, address fleet, multifamily, public charging, as well as high-speed fast charging that you're going to find along corridors as you travel across the country. And so um, we're doing that coupled with all those experiences to make a, dry, a great driver experience in Dash, in your pocket. You can ask Alexa, you know, where's my, lo- my, you know, my closest charger? Am I charging now? All those integrations to make it really simple for consumers. 
Are you a hardware provider? Uh, do you manufacture hardware? Uh, or do you do the contracting to do installation? I mean, you know, where where does ChargePoint begin and end on all of this? <laughs> so, um, at the heart, we're the system provider, the combination of the hardware and the software necessary for a site host to offer electric vehicle charging. On top of that, uh, many need guidance and help about to properly design their parking lot or their fleet depot, uh, in some cases, to go through that electric electrification and even construction build out. So, so we, we, we enable that and have those services available from ChargePoint. Plus, uh, we wanna make sure for everyone's sake that there's a, a, a great and consistent experience as they go from charger to charger. So we also provide services to our hosts to support the ongoing maintenance of those chargers. We're designing and building the hardware, we're designing and building the software, and then all the solutions around it for a great experience. I think one of the things that's interesting is because we can control the hardware, the software, and that mobile experience, like I mentioned with the Apple Watch and the and the mobile phone I can tap to authenticate, we also can instrument it with great diagnostics so we can make sure those stations are up and ready for the next driver. And that's really, really important to us. We are obsessive about the driver experience, the accuracy of the pins so that one can find them, the description of the charger so that they understand if it's in a parking lot that has a fee associated with it. Those are all things that we think are really critical for a great environmentally critical transition to electric mobility. Right. I want to dive into the, the business aspects of this in a minute, but first I want to make it clear to our listeners what they can expect in terms of the visibility of ChargePoint and how they interact with ChargePoint. Talk a bit about that, about a uh, electric vehicle owner uh, and yeah. and what their experience would be with ChargePoint. Okay. Um, so when you get an electric vehicle, uh, one of the first things you would do is download the ChargePoint app. It's available on the uh, Apple I, you know, App Store as well as on the Google Play Store. and then you would create a ChargePoint account, it's free. And then what you'll see is a list of stations around uh, your immediate vicinity. And you would input the profile of your vehicle. And you would do that because different vehicles have different connectors. And therefore we can show you the relevant stations with the appropriate connectors based on your um, availability uh, in, your, in your vehicle in your proximity. And and then um, you, you could put a funding source in, like a credit card. And uh, and then as you go approach a station, you would tap to charge your phone, or you could authenticate in a variety of ways that would you would then plug in the, the car. And we would alert you through the mobile app when your session is done. And if that particular site host has um, any kind of what we call idle fees, because since your session is done, they want to make sure you would then vacate that space to allow another driver to charge so that there's good availability. And I think the other thing that will be surprising to folks when they look at the app, and they don't have to have an EV to download the app and take a look, and you can go to our website, chargepoint.com, to see this as well. But there's there's hundreds of thousands of places to charge, and there are places that they're there and you don't really realize it. They're in your favorite parking garages. They're in your libraries. They're in your city parking lots. They're at your work. They're They're all around you. But it's a different interaction model than that of a gas station. So it's not like you're driving by them every day and they're standing out as this dedicated, purposeful thing. And so, again, the model is I, 
I I fuel while I park and I onboard most of my fuel at home and at work. And then as they make a road trip, they'll say, I'm, you know, I'm in the Bay Area. And so maybe we're going to go up to Lake Tahoe. And then I, I would be finding um, more and more available chargers along the way that I can use. An important point, too, uh, ChargePoint is is a network, a collection of stations that are available to these drivers. Um, there are other networks available in North America, and your ChargePoint credentials work with those. So I can take my ChargePoint credentials to an EVgo station, which is a network uh, that's out there, and I can use those credentials to access the EVgo chargers, and I don't have to create a different account basis what have you, it's all contained inside of my ChargePoint app. And the reason people like that is I get this full picture of what it takes to charge and fuel my vehicle from an economic basis. And you typically see people smile about it's so cheap to actually run my vehicle on electrons. And so that's that's one of the, I think, one of the, the excitement and liberation that people feel when they're driving EV is the the driving experience is very liberating we can talk about that in a minute it's like a supercar and um and then the the no stops along the way and then this full picture of you know the the low cost of operation between maintenance and fuel yeah well and the convenience aspect of not having multiple accounts but having one account that essentially works everywhere it's like having a a credit card that works at every gas station across the the yeah. country, right? I mean, uh, precisely. I, yeah, yeah. So. and I can use my. It's, it's similar to I can use my ATM card, you know, regardless of which bank that it that it issued that issued it to me on multiple ATMs. It's the same kind of concept. Let's talk about about the connector issue because it, it, it strikes me, that, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like there are few enough charging stations as it is, and then you limit the number of charging stations you can use because of connector issues, where non compatibility of connectors. Talk a bit about your thoughts on that. I actually think that's not as predominant in the overall that's affecting people's experience, and so um, largely when you're you're charging at work. Um, or in kind of what we would call longer dwell situations, you're charging on level two AC charging. And we're, we're, we're pretty standardized there in North America on, um, uh, on, a, on a J1772 plug. And Teslas have adapters that plug into those. So it's, it's no problem. You can go everywhere. The adapter issues come up more in fast charge environments. And there you're seeing very much of a standardization coming much more around uh, what's called CCS. And so um, we'll see continual availability of Chatamo, which was used by a, a variety of um, cars over the last decade. Um, so you'll see the continual availability, but it will sort itself out, sort itself out basically but through market share. And so it, it's, it's a problem that's kind of naturally working itself out through market forces. Right. Well, uh, today, predominantly, of course, Tesla is the predominant EV, right? I mean, by leaps sure. and bounds. I mean, a uh, much bigger market share than any brand has on the uh, internal combustion engine side. So, uh, And that's going to change. At, at least it's likely to, uh, where we will see um, EVs from many, many other manufacturers as, as they jump into the, into the game. Yeah, and there are adapters to charge uh, on Chatamo chargers, which is a technical uh, specification of, of an adapter type, uh, a high-speed DC charger to adapt those to a Tesla input. So that that exists today. 
uh, and then I, I think we'll see more kind of enablement of that kind of solution. So whatever DC chargers out there can support the Tesla environment. Um, but you're right. There is a, a, an exciting amount of cars coming. And I think what's exciting also is, you know, there's the, they're coming in all shapes and sizes that address the different needs that uh, drivers have across the country. And so there's exciting pickup trucks and SUVs and uh, sports oriented vehicles and what have you. And so uh, it's amazing. It's, it's going to be really exciting. And um, I think you're going to see, you know, a lot of dramatic um, adoption uh, around the world. Uh, there's a lot going on in Europe uh, in terms of EV adoption. And I think we'll see a lot here as these cars are released. Right. Uh, do you f feel like you're kind of, and you and your company are evangelists for EVs, uh, spreading the good word about them in addition to uh, serving that customer? We're, we are obsessive about this transition because we think it's right for society. We think it, if you're a driver, it's a great experience. And so, yes, I definitely think we're evangelists. Um, uh, there's no downsides here. Uh, it's good for everyone. It's it is a transformative experience once you've had it. It's different than people expect. And I think that's what's so helpful about a show like yours is to really get the word out about if you love to drive and you love cars, and I've grown up that way, um, the, the, you know, try out it, go test drive an EV. It's a, it's a really fun experience. Yeah, they really are terrific. I, you know, I've just been driving a Mustang Mach-E for the last uh, week or so. Uh, and uh, as you say, it's, it's somewhat transformative. You get, you get a, a different take on things. What about technology going forward? I mean, I think a lot of people are, uh, or maybe, uh, you tell me, I would be concerned about installing something at some expense and then finding that what I installed was not uh, technically up to snuff within two or three years. I mean, what's your take on uh, quick obsolescence of, uh, of charging so we have chargers that have been out there for, you know, seven years, a decade or something like that. So uh, they have a long life value. Um, there's not a lot of change happening in terms of the interaction with the vehicle. So there is flexibility there. This is why we've designed, for example, the ChargePoint HomeFlex the way that we have. You may live in a home today that has panel capacity to support 32 amps or 16 amps. And these are all different things that affect the rate of how fast we can charge your vehicle. Or your vehicle may have a constraint of how fast it can in, inject or in, in intake the uh, power, if, if you will. And so we've designed the ChargePoint Home Flex that you can actually set the amperage rate in correspondence to what your current car is capable of, as well as your electrical panel capacity, so that uh, you do have forward compatibility with as you change vehicles or you change homes or you upgrade your home environment that you're, you can get the most out of that charger. So that, that is a fundamental approach that we take to our product design. We also take that approach to our uh, fast charge DC products, which are very modular in nature. And so if a different cable type does come out, um, it is a very simple uh, replacement to change that. And so that's been a big investment in our architecture of how we design our hardware products. And um, we do that also so that we can uh, have a great experience for our drivers. So we wanna make sure those stations are always uh, up and available. And so we've designed the stations in such a way to minimize downtime by having very modular replaceable parts. 
And so that is also kind of that, you know, making sure that that investment lasts for a long time. Right. We're talking with Bill Lowenthal. He is Senior Vice President of Product for ChargePoint, talking about uh, EV inf infrastructure and, and the fascinating growth there. What, where do you think uh, some of your uh, best opportunities for growth are? I mean, it's one thing to have all these opportunities, and, and that's great. At the same time, figuring out which your best opportunities are is often uh, <laughs> the toughest thing in, in business. Talk a bit about that, would you? So, super question. Um, yeah, it is a very exciting business from a business perspective. And, uh, you know, it's a very large market that has to go through this electrification journey. Uh, our approach has very been kind of very vertical. And so, when you look at that commercial space and workplace and parking, those are the, you know, those are the, uh, the logical environments where that there's been great adoption of electric vehicle infrastructure. Um, we're seeing, you know, uh, particularly with COVID, it, as folks weren't frequent in the office as much, they did equip their homes with EV chargers or their multifamily properties. And so what's kind of so elegant about the, the portfolio that ChargePoint has is the technology kind of meets all these use cases uh, very interchangeably. So we don't have to specifically build technology for a specific segment. Um, but activating the segment requires the right partners and installation partners and, and uh, channel resellers. And very much we see them focused on that large commercial opportunity, um, the various residential opportunities, and then fleet. And fleet is a very, very large transformative opportunity that requires um, uh, a a superset of some of the capabilities that we put into other uh, uh, application areas. For example, if one is electrifying a fleet whose businesses del deliver typically, you know, people, services, uh, or packages, um, that's a mission critical operation for them. So it is very, it's a very technical, monitored, end to end sale. Uh, if any of your folks are in the technology space, you know, it's the difference of selling a technology product to a consumer versus selling it to someone's mission critical data center. And so uh, we take that very seriously. And so we've invested a lot to really help the transformation of uh, fleets to electric mobility. And so that has then required us to offer more services uh, to support those, the ongoing operations of those depots. So a very exciting part of the business. And that, that's a big, big growth item over the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. Is that where you think we're going to see the, the biggest percentage of adoption or the, the soonest adoption of uh, uh, electric vehicles? Or are you seeing it concurrent with what will happen on the consumer side? That's a great question. I think um, it, it's more concurrent. And some of the differences on the fleet side is there's some very specific vehicle types they need based on the the roles those vehicles play in the environment and so those are coming out of different uh you know speeds to market one of the you know think of this in our consumer lives uh, i'm really looking forward to the electric garbage truck because <laughs> <You're gonna> be <laughs> both. <laughs> just not to hear the garbage truck would be enough yeah exactly right and so you're going to see um and i think the transformation to fleet will be a really important signal to consumers that EV is here. And I think in general with consumers, they don't realize it yet, 
Um, but everyone's going to be driving an EV, and it's just they don't realize it yet. But when you see that package delivery truck, the postal truck, the um, the uh, garbage truck, the city buses all going by in an you know electrically powered, and all the benefits those enter- enterprises have, I-, I think that is also a really important catalyst for the rest of the population, if you will. They're here. They're 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 easy to drive, fun to drive, easy to charge. And, you know, it's a simple transition. So I think that will be a very illustrative um, example to society that we're making this transition. Right. Let's, let's talk quickly about range and maybe range will be solved or maybe range isn't even a problem, uh, you know, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but let's talk a bit about that. A lot of people buy vehicles not for what they do every day, but for the thing that they might do a few times a year. Right. Uh, and that is what uh, in, in large uh, part, one of the reasons I think we haven't seen greater adoption of EVs up till now. What's your take on where the technology will take us, where battery technology will take us, where charging technology will take us that will alleviate range as an issue? So great question. You know, I, you know, I've bought in a lot of cars in my life, and I never evaluated how big the gas tank was. Well, then that's because you have unlimited range when you have a gasoline <laughs> car, right? I mean, you can get gas anywhere, and off you go in five minutes. And I think that's that's something you cannot do yet in EVs, and it's a stumbling block for some. So Yeah, you, you can do it more than people realize. And so um, in your day-to-day life, you're, you're really onboarding fuel uh, at home and at work and around town, and you're really just replacing the fuel you consumed in between stops. And so I, I think one of the big experience differences is it's that, it's that fueling model of I fuel, I'm parked. Now, of course, I want to make that journey to the beach or to the mountains, and I need to be ensured that I can make that long journey. And so in the vehicles that are coming upwards north of 250 miles of range, you're seeing that opportunity uh, so that you are satisfying the range range anxiety for those consumers. And we're seeing the deployment of stations along all these corridors. And so if you want to drive between L.A. and San Francisco, between where you live and where I live, um, there's a whole number of places to stop uh, along the corridors that make those routine travel stops. And so, again, I would consult the ChargePoint map through uh, the mobile app or or the, um, the website. But, yeah, there's hundreds of thousands of places to charge and more and more and more fast charge sites on major corridors. So we have projects on the East Coast, in you know, throughout Colorado, throughout California that make it so I can, you know, I can ski and surf in the same day with my electric car. Got it. What uh, what should I have asked you that I have not asked you, Bill? Or what what should consumers know about this that uh, we haven't talked about in this interview? Uh, so I think some things that are are helpful for folks to understand in terms of how this works is we're providing the solution to the site host and we're not setting the price um, of what that site host is charging for the electricity. So we're enabling that site host to um, set their pricing based on their particular business uh, objectives. 
many of them may be in a mixed-use facility, so they're trying to charge their own fleet vehicles or potentially employees, but also make it available to the to the public. And so we're giving them the tools to do that. Um, well, and then you might see the ChargePoint network out there, and then other networks like Electrify America or EVGo or the Flow Network, and we interoperate with all these folks. Um, and their mo- their business is different. They're providing a service to consumers like we are uh, but their business is to own those chargers and to sell electricity where the charge point business is to enable the folks that want to own the chargers and sell electricity or serve their users so we're really a a technology and solution provider and um and and so i think that's one dynamic that people uh it, it's obviously hard for them to understand that when they. Well, you're kind of operating as Amazon operates with uh, retailers and and you know makers of products and and marketers of products. It, it strikes me. Yeah, it, that's a good example. Uh, yeah, so we're an enabler of the market, and we're enabling the site hosts to accomplish their business objectives. Yeah, which and we want to do it. We want to do it in such a way that it's a very consistent experience for drivers, a seamless one, an easy one, and propels the EV industry overall. Right. Well, before I let you go, uh, please remind our listeners again how they can find out more information about ChargePoint. Please go to chargepoint.com and or you can download the mobile app, app from the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store and you can those uh, you can try out our mobile app. There's no charge to the to the consumer and then you'll have access to where the EV chargers are and then Hopefully you'll get an EV and use it. <laughs> terrific, terrific. And they are going to love that EV, won't they, Bill? They will. It's a fun experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've been chatting with Bill Lowenthal. He is Senior Vice President of Product at ChargePoint. Thanks so much for being with us, Bill. I, I learned so much, and I, I think we could talk for another half hour or so about this and, and still just be scratching the surface. Thank you very much. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. And that was our interview with Bill Lowenthal. He is the Senior Vice President of Product at ChargePoint. Fascinating stuff. I mean, a lot going on. It's not just about buying an electric vehicle, is it? It's buying an electric vehicle and then everything that goes with it, uh, which includes a, a whole different way to fill up or fuel your vehicle, get uh, get power for your vehicle. So uh, fascinating stuff with Bill Lowenthal. And the always fascinating Chris Teague has been with us again. Thanks so much for being with us, Chris. We appreciate it. You always flatter me, Jack, and I hope to flatter everyone who's listening. If you like what you heard, please hit the like or subscribe button and leave us a review. It will help us uh, continue to grow and get in front of more people to bring them along for the ride. We'd love to have them join us for the ride. If you like the show, please uh, recommend to others that they listen to. America on the Road is on all the various podcast platforms, the important ones anyway, the ones wise enough to carry us. Uh, So uh, let them know that they can find America on the Road where they listen to their podcasts. And and you might want to check out my book, The uh, GR Factor, Unleashing the Undeniable Power of the Golden Rule. Uh, That's uh, the way we kind of live our lives here on America on the Road. And uh, I'd love to have you... uh, 
sample that, uh, that book uh, might help you. And uh, that's the reason we do what we do here on America on the Road. So uh, we do thank you for being with us right here on America on the Road. We thank our sponsor, Mercury Insurance, for providing that sponsorship and helping us come to you. And we hope you join us again. Uh, Chris Teague and I will be back with you again right here next week for another edition of America on the Road. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com.